welcome to the McKnight Group's limited podcast series celebrating our 50th anniversary in 2020. My name is Madison Stoops, and I'm an assistant here at the McKnight Group and will be moderator of today's podcast, The Early Years. The McKnight Group has 50 years experience leading in innovative church design and building. How it all got started is a compelling story that we've heard on our last podcast, The Origin Story, But today, we will focus on the incredible leaders and churches we've worked with as the McKnight Group has developed over the years and the memorable projects we've had the privilege to oversee. To share with us today, we welcome back Homer McKnight, the founder of the McKnight Group, and we welcome Bill Hosterman, partner and leading architect of the McKnight Group until his retirement in 2003. Homer, in our last time together, we heard your captivating story to starting the McKnight Group 50 years ago, Where we left off is you had moved to Grove City, Ohio in 1970 to build the Grove City Church as the Lord had called you to do. And as you were working on it, you had other projects begin to line up behind it. You were actively constructing during the day and then drawing plans for the new projects coming up at night. It must have been a lot to handle. I'd love to know how you developed that hard work into the McKnight Group and how you met and partnered with Bill. Those days are kind of a blur, but I remember I was working all the time as... uh on the job during the day and drawing at night. And several people came while we're building the Grove City Church, churches and even some uh, commercial uh, owners, and wanted us to do work for them. And I was trying to do the drawings, and I soon realized that I couldn't keep up with that. There weren't enough hours in the day. We had um, used a mechanical engineer named Denny to do some uh, some work on the drawings on, on mechanical systems for us. And um, I shared with him that uh, I needed an architect. Since I, uh, I didn't know one um, that might be available, he said, well, I know a guy that works uh, where I work that's just like you. He's a religious guy. He doesn't cuss. He doesn't do any of that stuff. Uh, he's a lot like you, and uh, I'll introduce you. I said, great, I'd like to talk with him. So got Bill's number and called him, told him what I was looking for, and he came down and talked with me. I don't remember a lot, Bill, about that conversation other than telling you uh, what I was doing, wanted to do, and needed a registered architect. And you were registered at the time since you graduated four years ahead of me. And uh, I hadn't yet uh, completed the state board exams and was not registered. Even though at that time we could get building permits on sets of drawings uh, that were not, didn't have a registration seal, uh, smaller projects, the size of Grove City and that kind of project. But to do anything more, we were going to need a registered architect. So I made an offer to you to uh, join us and... uh, um, become a partner in the in the business and I don't remember how long you took I don't think it was very long to respond but um, uh, I liked everything I uh, heard about you and your passion for church you, you grew up uh, you and your wife were involved in the church as Shirley and I were and um, you, you, you liked what you heard, I think, because you accepted fairly quickly. What, what's your remembering on that? I don't remember the exact uh, details on it, but like you say, uh, I had 
In my background, um, originally uh, I went to Akron University if, a year after I graduated from high school, and um, I was thinking of chemical engineering, which is a long way from architecture, but then I transferred to Ohio State and got into architecture, and all through architecture, I had it in the back of my mind that uh, someday I would be in an office or owner or partnership or something like that, not just working for somebody. And uh, when you approached, uh, it was more or less specializing in churches, which is an idea I had in the back of my mind as well. It didn't uh, take long. I was working with another firm. I've been with them about seven years. And originally I thought, I might say, okay, I'll work part-time for them and we'll part-time form our own business and then phase out of their employee. Uh, it didn't work out that way because I came back from vacation and approached them with that and they said, no, I don't think we can do that. And I said, okay, then I'm going to resign and join with you. Uh, and form the company. And all of this, um, as we have done, both Carol and I um, have done, is always do things with prayer before you do them. And uh, we had prayed about that, and uh, there was just no question at all that this is what we should do. And so we did that, and I said yes, and that began the basement uh, era. <laughs> so Bill, Homer was proposing a design-build method for the McKnight Group, which at the time was a new concept as no one was working architecture and construction in the same company. What were some of your thoughts about the partnership, and how did you make your, your decision? Uh, I didn't um, think twice uh, about joining or uh, making the decision uh, after prayer and uh, at that time uh, having been out of school um, probably a pretty good period of time um, I was not as concerned uh, with the design build idea as a lot of architects would have been in that time because um, I was not against it, and I didn't see any reason why you shouldn't do it, uh, that type of thing. It was not um, common practice then, but um, I wasn't a member of any organizations or firm that would have any objections or bring any reprimands or anything like that. I did not belong to the AIA, which is the architectural group. Um, and they were against design-build. Um, so I really didn't have any uh, problems with uh, making the decision. And it was going along the lines that I was thinking that someday I'd like to be a partnership or in a business that was uh, where I had a little more control and say what was uh, being done. And the idea that it was primarily church, church architecture, uh, that direction is what we were going, uh, appealed because that's in the past one of the things that I was 
thinking about. Homer and Bill, when you think back to starting the Midnight Group, how did you approach working with churches? I'll go first on that. Um, in the early years, we did what we knew and had seen. So we were pretty much traditional in design, like uh, other church architects. And all that we knew was what we were told and taught. And um, we were taught that church architecture, different from others, was all about the building. And that whether you had a small budget or a, a large budget, it was still about the building. And you didn't really, uh, we weren't taught the influence of the church and really the needs of the church, other than how many seats, how many parking spaces, um, that kind of thing. It was all about the building, how beautiful you can make the building on whatever budget you had. And so our early ones were along those lines. Uh, and so we tried to lift smaller churches. Obviously, early on, smaller churches came to us, and we tried to lift their projects under that basis. Uh, we learned an awful lot working with churches and in future years made made dramatic changes and were pioneers in a lot of things. But during those times, it was solving problems, basically. And uh, we were given projects that churches would come to us and say, nobody can do this. We've talked to lots of people and they can't come up with a solution for our problem because many of the churches we were called to uh, had a building already. Very few were starting new churches, but they had a building already and they needed to expand it or add on to it, but they didn't know how. And what we soon discovered was very few had put much emphasis and their architects and consultants had put little to no emphasis on the future when they designed their building. They had a piece of ground, they would plop a small first building right in the center of it without regard of how you're gonna add on and where things would go in the future. So one of the early things that we learned was churches needed master plans before they did anything. And we started focusing on that from the beginning. You need a master plan before you build anything. You need to know because for churches, it's, it's a building project after a building project. If they're growing and continuing to do what they need to do, they need to build multiple times because they have limited budgets. They build what they can. Then there's going to be another phase and another phase. So we started emphasizing as much um, on the master plan as on whatever they were going to do at that time. And that was pretty unique to us. It wasn't totally unique, but we found that very few were doing that. So that's one of the early challenges that we started emphasizing, and, and we started doing master plans for many churches. What that did, though, as we came into those churches, and we found that uh, they really had issues, and a lot of people couldn't figure them out or was going to cost an enormous amount. So we early on became known as problem solvers. We could always come up with a solution 
to what the churches needed. That's what I remember from those early projects. I think the uh, things that uh, in the early early times, um, I think it was interesting since I had had some construction experience uh, during the summers between college, uh, between the years of college, uh, I worked construction to help pay for college. And so uh, I was coming in as an architect that has had construction experience, which is a little bit unusual for architects coming out of school, is that uh, you don't know the difference between the paper architecture that you do and the construction that you end up in the field. And I think having construction knowledge and then joining in with a design-build firm, uh, that became very valuable. And our first church that I worked on both on the drawings and in the field uh, was the Whitehall Nazarene Church, which uh, I would work half day on the drawings of that and other churches. And then in the afternoon, I'd go out in the field and work in the field. And again, that's, it's fascinating and interesting to see what you've put on paper and to come up with a design to be actually built in the field and see how it comes together or how it doesn't come together in some cases and what you need to do to change it. Uh, and I think um, it, it was a very interesting and um, a wonderful adventure that we were starting out on. At least that's kind of how I looked at it as that uh, this is going to be a nice adventure and a good uh, relationship. Bill, you mentioned Whitehall. I remember that one was a really unique challenge. At that time, they were growing very, very rapidly. And again, without a master plan, each time they needed to build, they just built another separate building. So they had three separate buildings on a very small site. And then they wanted to build a, build a big sanctuary uh, that would seat 700 people. And, and there was no space for it except to tie into all three buildings. So we had to design a sanctuary and squeeze it in between three existing buildings. And we maximized that entire site. There wasn't any space left between parking and buildings. But it worked out uniquely, and it still works to this day. Homer and Bill, when you think back to those early years in the McKnight Group, what memorable churches or projects come to mind? Memorable projects. Um, uh, there, were, there were many, but I remember Kenny Memorial in Athens. Remember I said that uh, we were living in Athens when God called us to come to Grove City. However, I had not been to Kenny Memorial Church. It's a Wesleyan church. And the pastor was David Holdren. It was his first pastorate. In fact, it turns out his mom and dad came to our church at Grove City. But he was pastoring Kenny Memorial. It was a, a church with no parking, downtown Athens, um, old building, and needed a new sanctuary. It was a very, very difficult uh, design project, and nobody had been able to come up with the design. But we tackled that one, and Bill, I'm sure you worked on that one. You were 
had design at the time and made trips down there and we met with the church and we built a very very unique addition to that church that is still there and that was um, in the early 70s and we became friends with David Holdren who went on to other churches and is our friend today uh, so Kenny Memorial was one of the really early challenges that we did uh, Buckeye Christian here in Grove City, uh, which is built uh, a few times, but they were planting a new church. And um, we had done a design for a home mission church. It wasn't a big building. It was about 4,400 square feet, as I remember. But we made it unique so that a, a new church, a, a home mission church, would have both a place to worship and a place to fellowship. The problem with home mission churches, they have such limited budgets that most of them would build a little sanctuary and a nursery or two and restrooms, and that's and they would be stuck in that, and they couldn't really do other things in the life of the church. And because the building was so small, they couldn't grow enough to get enough funds to build the next addition. So a lot of them were being stymied. And uh, there was a huge church planting emphasis back in those early years uh, across the country. And so we wanted to, uh, to help with a different style church, and, it, and we did. It was the first of what we became later very well known for, only in much bigger churches. But as a small church, we built a, a worship center with the platform on one end, and uh, a small kitchen on the back sides and told them to use chairs, not pews. Because back then, every church felt like they had to have pews, a sanctuary with pews. That was the big deal, sanctuary with pews. But pews are so limiting to what you can do. You can only worship in the space. So we built the same space, put chairs in, and during the week, if they didn't want to eat where the platform was, they could simply pull a curtain across the platform uh, open up the kitchen, uh, little kitchenette door in the back, and they could fellowship in and do other programs throughout the week. So that was the first of the multi-use churches. That design was so popular that lots and lots of uh, groups wanted that building. And to do our part for home mission churches, we gave those designs uh, those drawings, the entire set of working drawings, we gave to any church that was planning a new church. They would, we would have to um, do a site plan for each location because every site plan is different, every property is different. But as far as the working drawings, that was our contribution to every church plant for many years. And there are, I, I don't even know the number of those churches that are around 20, 30 or more around that we gave during those years. So that was a memorable early start. Um, Grove City Nazarene came later in the mid-80s um, and was directly a result of my mission experiences and a total change of understanding. We, uh, we relocated to Grove City Church of the Nazarene under this new concept and many, many churches came and saw it. I mean, literally, from all over the country, they came and saw it. And a lot, a lot came from Grove City Church of the Nazarene. Two of them that came because of that were um, Christ the King, um, 
in um, Worthington, Ohio, and they had um, recently moved from a small church, had bought 113 acres, and uh, needed a building. And they were um, a recently um, independent organization out of a denomination they had left. They had a very charismatic, dynamic pastor, Bob Swanger, at the time, and the church was growing, and, and he brought his board down, and and they they looked at the Grove City Church and said, we want this building on our site. And basically, we did that. We we did something very, very similar to that Grove City building on their site. The, the interesting follow-up to that was three or four years after they built that, that entire area, uh, thousands of acres, was purchased by uh, a group of developers in Columbus, and that's and they had a vision for the Polaris Shopping Center and all of the huge stores and roads and businesses and uh, around there. I mean, it is incredible today what was done. As it turned out, the church property, and particularly right where we had built the building, was on the part of the ground that they wanted to buy and they needed that particular piece to put in the interchange, Polaris Parkway interchange, on I-71 and Polaris Parkway. So they were going to build a bridge interchange uh, on the first private interchange on I-71. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, the church asked me to negotiate that deal with, with the developers to sell their land. They had about a million dollars in the property. And I negotiated for weeks with the developer along with the pastor. And what we ended up with, the developers gave the church three and a quarter million dollars and 120 acres of land on the other side of the freeway. And the church was ecstatic. They gave 300,000 to missions, and we built a brand new building for them on the other side of the freeway. And uh, that was quite a story to be involved. That was before one building was built up there, which is now that huge, um, huge interchange and, and shopping center. I mean, it goes for miles. Uh, another church, exciting church that came to Grove City and saw that was Vineyard. Uh, Pastor Rich Nathan, who was, had, had taught law at Ohio State and um, then started a, a church in his living room and then gave up his law uh, teaching practice and built this church. And the first time I met them, uh, they had purchased an old church in uh, North uh, Columbus. Um, from a congregation who said you can't grow in this church 200 as big as you can get in this church building and but rich uh, knew better a different way to build a church and he had bought that church but they were packing it out with about 600 people and um, they needed property and they'd bought property that was in a floodplain and a park it was a soccer park and a floodplain and they bought property and uh, needed a lot of fill. I had to raise the level of the whole site some four feet. It just happened they were working on a 
highway in, uh, highway project close by, and they got most of that dirt free trucked in because the highway project needed a place to dump it. So that project was elevated, and we did the first of several projects with Vineyard. Vineyard is one of the strong churches, has planted many churches out of that church, and we built for them, um, I believe, four times. Uh, uh, most uh, notable was they came on a later project to Grove City and saw our, I, I, when we built a later project at Grove City and we built a unique 3,000 seat sanctuary. Uh, we'd already built for Vineyard a couple of three times, but they had, uh, they wanted something big, a 3,000 seat worship center, and and we didn't at that time have any to show. So they sent a committee around, they spent weeks and they sent a committee, I think it was five, traveled the U.S. looking at large sanctuaries. Uh, and they weren't going to use us because we didn't have experience in that size building. And they were about finished with their travels and looking at buildings. And we were in the uh, near completion, uh, probably three, four months from completion of a 3,000-seat sanctuary for Grove City, which was unique. There's nothing like it in the country. And uh, so I talked to the pastor. I said, look, before you decide, come down to Grove City and see ours, what we're building. And I remember they were sitting in the balcony, and I was talking with them. And he looked to his committee, and he said, this is exactly what we want. There's nothing better that we've seen across the United States. And they gave us the project, and we built their project. And later, then we built a big community center for them with two high school-sized gymnasiums and all kinds of other spaces. So it's, it's a really exciting church uh, like the Grove City Church. So those are some memorable churches that we have done. What was the most amazing thing you experienced working with churches in those early years? I think in the early years, the, one of the uh, amazing things are, and kind of exciting things is that, and you don't really pick it out until you go through a period of years, uh, it's when the church was basically exploding or expanding and growing uh, from a small uh, mission church, 100, 200 people, small sanctuary, and then they're thinking of growth and expansion of their church uh, or the church as a whole from the uh, mission church, 100, 200 people, to the mega church, anywhere from 750, 1,000, and nowadays two or 3,000. And the uh, events and the impact that this change in the church, the exciting growth of the church, uh, I think was uh, something that you look back on, I do at least, and um, that realized that this is really a tremendous thing, the growth that the churches have. At this time, we will conclude part one of the early years and we'll continue hearing more stories from Homer and Bill in our next podcast, The Early Years Part Two. We at the McKnight Group are celebrating 50 years serving churches and we are having a limited series of podcasts for our 50th anniversary and have more information on our website.